back to episode 11 of the Gladiators Den MMA podcast, where today we're going to take a quick look back at the UFC 291 International Fight Week, the fight night between Sanhagen and Font, and all the MMA rumors and news in between. So without further ado, let's get to it. Okay, welcome back to another episode. So yes, I'm back from my vacation, hence the inactivity over the last couple of weeks. And if you're all wondering, yes, I did have a great time, but it's good to be back. It's good to be involved in the MMA world again. Obviously, with the vacation, I've not been doing my podcast, and I've also not been writing for Verdict, which I also enjoy doing. So yeah, let's just jump right in. So obviously, the big event we missed first would have been the International Fight Week card, and... I think it's pretty fair to say that last weekend and the fight week card, the fight night and the international fight week, were both absolute bangers. Both cards had like insane finish rates. The excites, the fights were exciting, and yeah, lots gone on in the MMA world actually. So let's see if we can quickly digest some of those. So let's start with the fight international fight week UFC two ninety one go through those fights, uh, try and go see what's going to happen with the fighters involved and all sorts, and then we'll go to the fight night, and then I'll try and remember what's gone on in the last couple of weeks. So obviously the big one was the BMF title win from Justin Gaethje. Now, I know Justin Gaethje was the underdog going into the fight, but I don't think we're that surprised that he won. Don't think we're that surprised he won by knockout, but we're certainly all surprised that he won by a brutal head kick in the way that he did. Because for one, Justin Gaethje very, very rarely throws head kicks. Two, Justin Poirier has a great defense when it comes to, you know, anything in general. He has one of the best defenses, I would say, in that division. And even in the shot that knocked him out, his defense was good. I mean, he had his hand up, he like, you know, was covering his face, he would have blocked the kick, but the way Gaethje threw it, it kind of like wrapped around and clocked him in the back of the head, and then, yeah, good night, Irene, he was out, and then Herb Dean, I mean, I saw a slowed down video, which looked like, for one, Poirier gets kicked, and then you see his eyes like almost pop out of his skull, I don't know if you've seen that video, shouldn't be too hard to find. But yeah, the his eyes look like they're about to pop out. It shouldn't be too hard to find if you go on like Twitter or whatever. And then also the video where he looks to be out cold. And then Herb Dean comes in with the people's elbow. And it looks like Derb, Herb Dean is the one that wakes him back up. So, I mean, I'm a huge Dustin Poirier fan. I think he's a great fighter. I think he's a seems like a nice guy. He's pretty, you know down to earth so a lot of people can relate to him but he just always seems to fall at that final hurdle and you know if there's anyone that deserves to be a champion he's definitely it but does this does this mean or does this take away any of his chances of becoming lightweight champions anytime soon I think it does I mean we've seen crazier things but I think to give Poirier a title fight now is just a bit of a hard sell because obviously we have 
Oliveira next. Then we have Gaethje next. Volkanovski's in that mix. Three fights for a champion is a year, two years, depending on who the champion is. So, Poirier's, you know, way into his 30s. He's probably going to need a couple of fights, at least three fights, two fights sets him back. He's going to need two or three fights you know, two or three decisive wins at the top to even be back into title contention talk. It's just a hard sell. The only way I see it is if he moves up in weight. Now, I know I've I've definitely seen him tease this before in the past. He did tweet out, I think it was last week, kind of like a cryptic message. I think he was replying to a fan saying he's just going to move up or something. Try and find the, the the actual tweet after this, but yeah, I mean, it's tough. I don't know if if he's actually serious about moving up. I mean, I've seen an interview with him before. He talks about how, you know, later into his career, the weight cuts are getting harder, and as we know, the you know the big fight is the fight with the scale. So, I believe he walks around at like one eighty which is a huge cut to 155. If he's to cut down to 170, not only does that allow him a bit more extra room to bulk up, but also means that weight cut's going to be a lot easier for him. And then we have that history of, you know, the rivalry with him and it was him and Cody. So I think if he's to move up, again, I don't see it, but... I think if he realistically wants to fight for a title, that's the easiest route. Because the fight with Cody is the easiest sell because of the rivalry. And obviously, Cody fights Leon Edwards in Abu Dhabi in a couple of months. If Cody is able to get the win over Leon, I can see just uh, Dustin sneaking up and, you know, doing what Pereira's done. Now, albeit Pereira came off a loss as the champion, but if he can get up to welterweight and, you know, one huge win, I think he can be in, 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 in a talk for a title. Let's just say he does move up, right? And you can't just put him into a fight for the title straight away. Who realistically makes sense for him to fight? Now, I genuinely think, aside from Covington, you could match him up with most of the top five, top ten, and you have a great fight. So, let's say you put Poirier in welterweight. Bilal Muhammad. If he beats Bilal Muhammad, on the win streak Bilal Muhammad's on, you can probably make an argument for a title title fight. I think a win against Usman also does the same. A win against Kamzat Chimaev does the same. Now, I know Chimaev's in the rankings at welterweight, and he's probably going to be fighting at middleweight from now on, but yeah. Gilbert Burns. A win against Gilbert Burns can probably convince, you know, the audience and the UFC that you're ready for a title fight. Then we have Shavkat Rachmanov. 
I don't know, stop a stop, you know, the hype of someone on a winning streak like he is. Potential to uh potential to use that to your advantage and wonder boy. Now I think this is where we get into the the uh the pool of fighters where you're gonna need two wins. You know, your Wonder Boys, your Jeff Neals, your Vicente Luque's, things like that. But I think they all make for amazing fights. So I think if I'm Dustin Poirier, a move to a welterweight definitely makes sense if your goal is to be champion. And it's hard to say for Poirier because, you know, Poirier's spoken about everything he's achieved, uh, you know, in his career. You know, when he looks back and all this lot, he's had a very successful career. Maybe he just wants the biggest fights in terms of money because... It, it, there must be a point in a fighter's career when they, you know, they think or they realize that, you know, the title is just, you know, just too far out of reach at this point. But, you know, as a Justin, as a Dustin fan, I would love to see him get just one more chance because I think he's got all the tools to be champion. I think he legitimately is a tough fight for anyone in welterweight or lightweight and he can be champion. He just... He just doesn't seem to get there when it matters the most. Now, on the flip side, Justin Gaethje is most likely going to be fighting the winner of Charles Islam. And the way we've seen Gaethje fight in his last two fights, I think we've definitely seen a a more sensible fighter, let's say. He definitely doesn't seem to be as chaotic as he has been in the past. But he still is as entertaining as he always has been. You know, he seemed a lot more... I don't want to say reluctant, but he definitely seemed a lot more calculated, let's say, in the Dustin fight. Even in the Fitzaya fight, he, he was getting in these exchanges, but they wasn't as wild as we're used to. His striking seemed a lot more crisp. He was a lot more aware of what he was doing rather than this just like blind madness where, you know, go back to his UFC debut where he fights Michael Johnson and almost gets finished. He's a lot more calculated. He seems to be a lot more mature. So I think this version of uh, Justin, Justin Gaethje, is, again, someone that could potentially be champion. The thing is with Justin Gaethje is he is someone that can absolutely knock anybody out. I mean, I saw these videos of all his past fighters saying that he hits the hardest. I mean, Khabib was saying he hits like a truck. Dustin was saying he like almost tore his quad off with the leg kicks in the first fight. I think... And I mean, he almost finished Charles, right? This, this version of Justin Gaethje, I think, gives Charles a much tougher fight. I think... When Justin fought Charles, Charles was at this, like... I know Charles had this very short run at champion, but he was like this... This incredible figure that, no matter how hurt he got, always came back and won, always found a way to win. And I think Charles believed that as well, not only the fans. So when Justin was fighting Charles, he was in this, like, unbeatable, you know, unbreakable mind frame where no matter what happened he was he believed he was going to win so i think justin you know might have mentally 
being affected by that going into the fight. I don't know. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I definitely think this version of Justin Gaethje causes a lot more problems for for the top of that division and for any potential champions, because Islam isn't as you know isn't as good as Khabib. Just you know to put it bluntly, uh, I believe Justin could cause issues with his pace, and. I don't know, man. I mean, he's got good wrestling, but is his wrestling defense good enough for Islam? It's just so it's just so hard for me now after watching the Islam Volk fight because Volk proved that Islam is very beatable, and you know when you're a fighter and you've got the top of the top coaches, they can put in this work and study that fight to see you know put together a game plan to beat Islam, and I think. Justin Gaethje definitely has the tools to do that. I think he has the tools to beat Oliveira. So there's, you know, the winners of the next fight. Justin versus Volk would be a pretty good fight, I think. Just because it would be like... You know, Volk's come up from 145 and fought Islam, that's it. And, you know, hell of a fight. But Islam isn't one of the top strikers in the division. He definitely isn't one of the hardest hitters in the division. It would be cool to see... Volk go up, you know, fight these bigger guys against these hard hitters and see how he fares. But I'm certainly excited to see what happens with with Gaethje next and with Poirier too. So yeah, let's move on to the to the next fight, which was obviously the co-main. Uh, Alex Pereira got it done and split by a split decision. I mean, I, I for, for so you know for the record, first of all. I believe Pereira won that, and I think it was pretty obvious that he won that. The fact that there's so much, like, just tox, toxic, you know, people in the community for this sport just baffles me. If a fight goes away that they disagree with, or a fight goes away they didn't want it to go, then they just turn so toxic online and it's so fucking annoying to be reading shit online like Yan got robbed and it's no he didn't it was a close fight and he lost the first round was clearly uh Blahovich the whole way you know he wrestled him he was going for submissions if you think back to the uh Blahovich versus uh Adesanya fight he he's not really busy when he's on top he just kind of holds you there, waits for any submission opportunities. And, you know, it's effective. He does just enough to keep the referee from stopping the action and standing you up. So he wins the rounds, uses his size and strength well. So when he was on top of Alex threatening with the chokes, it was kind of worrying, especially given uh, Pereira's, like, you know, lack of experience in that department. But how can you not say that he didn't do well? He didn't get subbed when he looked, you know, seconds away from having, like, a rear naked choke locked in. He defended, uh, you know, himself intelligently on the ground, didn't take much damage. And then Yan was gassed after the first. Now, they were fighting at altitude, and obviously we saw it when we watched the uh, Leon Edwards versus Usman first, the first fight, how many fighters were affected by it. I didn't see it that much this time, except with Blahovich. I think if Blahovich didn't gas, 
he he probably wins that fight. Which, you know, if my auntie had bollocks, she'd be my uncle, that thing. It's redundant afterwards, but... Yeah, I mean, Pereira looked good. I think he showed um, a, a good improvement in his uh, grappling defense, particularly. Obviously, he was pretty sharp on the feet. Didn't really, you know, put Blahovic in any kind of danger, so to speak. But he definitely did enough to get the nod. And now we have, like, you know, a potential banger with uh, Jiri Prokashka and Alex Pereira. Which I think is a fucking insane fight, by the way. Because Jiri is someone that's shown, you know, in his unorthodox style that he's open to get hit. And Alex fights, you know, pressing forward, clean striking. I don't think Jiri's going to try and wrestle him that much. And if he does, I don't think he's he has that much success. I mean, I could be wrong, but from what I've seen in, like, you know, his short UFC career, because I've not seen any tape of him, you know, prior, um, he doesn't seem to be, you know, heavy on the wrestling, doesn't seem to be someone that wants to wrestle, he's going to stand and strike. So that's definitely an exciting fight, definitely a fight where both guys have potential to finish each other. We've seen with Alex, when he fought Izzy in the first fight, that, you know, he can come back in the fifth, even if he looks extremely tired. So, I think that fight's going to be pretty good. Pretty insane. Um, Jamal Hill, obviously, is out for a few months. So, I would assume the winner of that maybe defends the title once before Jamal Hill comes back. And also, I don't know if you've been keeping up with it. Um, I'm a huge Errol Hawani fan. I, you know, love his shows. Him, Chel Sonnen are, you know, two of the big people that, you know, probably inspired me to even start this podcast. Uh, Jamal Hill has a bit of a beef going with Helwani. Um, they've been pretty active on Twitter. If you've not seen it, just go on to the Jamal Hill's Twitter page, look on his videos and see what he's been calling Helwani out for. I think it's pretty interesting how he's just, you know, publicly, publicly done it. I don't have too much details on it. I don't really have a side, so I'm not going to say much more. Just seen as I mentioned him, I thought it would be, it would make sense to bring up. So if anyone's missed it, they can do that. Uh, moving on with the card, Bobby Green broke everybody's hearts with the submission finish over Ferguson. And, you know, someone's going to have to step in soon and tell Ferguson to quit. He had moments... Against Green, um, you know, just like he had moments in all of his, you know, six fights that he's just lost. But he's just not there anymore. Even just like his movement. I rewatched his fight with Kevin Lee recently. And like the pressure he's putting on Kevin Lee. How dangerous he is just in every aspect of the fight. On the ground, on his back, on top, on the feet. He doesn't have that anymore. When he was being jabbed by Green, he's like wincing, he's moving back, he's moving strange. He, It's just not clicking anymore. It's just not there. Now, it's 
it's so, you know, it's kind of like the BJ Penn fall off. It's extremely depressing and it's, I don't think it ruins his legacy, but it's getting to that point where if he just keeps fighting and losing, this is the Ferguson people are going to remember. Especially like all the post-COVID fans that the MMA has now that are just tuning into the UFC over the you know last couple of years. They don't know how good Ferguson was. And if, you know, these fans are going to be the, the more vocal and, you know, the people representing the community, they're just going to see Tony as this washed up guy that they've seen lose. Whereas he was actually one of the killers in the whole company. And just seeing him get submitted as well. Again, props to Bobby Green because, you know, he went out there and won every round. He dominated the fight and got a submission win which I believe was his first submission win since his UFC debut. Uh, yeah. It's just sad, man. And, like, who does he fight next? Who could possibly fight Tony Ferguson next and it'd be beneficial for anyone? Because you can't put him against anyone in the top 15 now because he's just going to get his ass kicked. If he beats anyone outside the top 15, then doesn't do anything for Ferguson. And the fact that he's on a six-fight losing streak, everybody's talking about how poorly he's performing, it doesn't do anything for the guy that beats him. The only fight I've seen online that maybe makes a little bit of sense just because of, like, you know, star power and name is Paddy Pimblet. Just because he's probably the only name outside the top 15 that, you know carries a little bit of weight and he's going to have been out for a while with his ankle injury it could be a good tune-up fight maybe Jared Gordon against Ferguson would be a pretty cool fight but me personally just seeing as a fan and just thinking you know health-wise that guy's almost definitely got CTE um, he's not you know a stable person to begin with all these extra beatings, all these extra training camps are just not going to help him health-wise. Uh, yeah. Pains me to say, but I think his his time's up. Um, yeah, after that, we also had the impressive submission win of Kevin Holland. Now, Kevin Holland is one of my favorite fighters and became one of my favorite fighters when he defeated... Uh, who was it? He fought five times last year, right? Or the year before? I think it was the year before. Was it Jacare Silva? No, not Jacare. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The fighter that he defeated when he was on his back and he got the knockout. When I saw that, and it was like his fifth fight in a year, and then, you know, he was talking all this shit to Brunson prior in the fight prior and stuff. Wait, the Brunson fight, I think it was after that. Anyway, yeah, you, I mean, you know what I mean. Kevin Holland was, he just takes any fight. He's very open, speaks his mind, doesn't take shit from anyone. I mean, you saw all the shit he had in the back with Chimaev a couple of fights ago. Um, every time, anytime somebody drops out that's around his weight, middleweight or welterweight, he throws his name in the hat. Like, I mean, recently with the Ian Gary and Jeff Neal fight falling through, um, he put a video out saying, I'll fight him at a catch weight. Like, he's just a fucking 
he's the BMF. He's one of the BMFs in the UFC for for sure. Now, he's only like thirty years old, I think. He's got tons of experience in the UFC because of his willingness to fight. He's a very marketable guy because he speaks very well, speaks his mind. A lot of fans like him. And I definitely think he's getting better. I mean, we saw his submission against Michael Chiesa. Um, His ground game's definitely improving. In his fight prior to the Chiesa fight, um, his wrestling defense also looked really good. If you remember when he fought um, Santino uh, Ponzinibbio. And obviously he got the impressive knockout in that fight too. So I think he's slowly showing us that he has all the tools to go all the way. Now, it might be a tad too early to say so, but I definitely think that Kevin Holland could, could slowly be making his way to the top of the division. I think he could potentially be a champion in the future. Again, thinking about how much he fights, how much he's improving, how he fights, he's a dangerous guy for anyone in the welterweight division because he uses his length extremely well. I certainly think that he can knock anybody out on any given day, and I think if he continues to get better, over the next two years, I think we could we could see his name in, uh, in title contention bookmark this podcast two years Kevin Holland making the title run heard it here first um, what else happened well we had the news that uh, Michael Pereira couldn't fight Thompson because he was three pounds overweight so Wonderboy declined the fight which I think is absolutely the right thing to do at his age um, he cited the fact that when he fought Darren Till, who was a couple of pounds over, that Till got the nod in a very close fight. And those extra couple of pounds could have been the difference. Which, when you're playing, um, when you're fighting, sorry, at the very, very top, it is all about inches. Like, these little extra advantages do make a big difference. And... You know, I like the way Wonderboy said, people keep saying it's only three pounds, then cut the extra three pounds if it's only three pounds. If you can't cut the extra three pounds, it's obviously not easy. It's not a big, it's it's not a small deal. Now, the fact that he made weight and was willing to fight, I think he should be given his show purse money for sure. Because obviously Dana White's come out recently and said that he's not been paid still, because it's not as simple as that. You can't just de- not fight and then demand a quarter of a million. Now, for me, I think the the significant thing about that comment is the reference to how much the money is. Because if it's a guy that you know is fighting on a 12-12 contract, you think Dana White and the UFC are really not just going, oh, here's your money. It's because he's on the main card and he's getting a lot of money. Dana White, or you know, whoever's in charge, doesn't want to pay him and set the precedent that you can you know not take fights if fighters don't make weight even though that's the way it should be he said he declined to fight somebody else um you know it's not on wonderboy to take a short notice fight that wasn't the fight that he agreed to 
The fight he agreed to was to fight Michael Pereira, and if he doesn't make weight, that's not his fault. He doesn't have to fight him. Especially when he's 40, 41 years old or whatever it is. He was the oldest guy on the card. It's just an unnecessary risk, especially if his motivations, like he keeps saying, is to just take one last charge at the title. He needs to be very calculated with his next couple of fights because because of his age. So, yeah, I think the UFC is really shitty for not paying him. Again, Dana White saying that there's a lot more that goes to it is just classic Dana White. It's because he doesn't want to pay him. And I think the reference to how much it is is the is the reason why. If it was, you know, like I said, somebody who wasn't on as much money, I don't see why he would have any issue with paying him. But anyway, we had uh, some pretty standout performers in the prelims. Um, I'm trying to think now. Uh, Gabriel Bonfirm with the impressive submission. I mean, he's like 15-0 and 0 now, right? 15-0, 14-0. He looks like a dangerous contender at... Uh, at middleweight, uh, welterweight, sorry. He's had two fights now in the UFC and both first round submissions. Never been defeated. I think he is definitely someone to keep an eye on. Again, like I said with uh, Holland, the next couple of years, go back to this podcast and look at what I, uh, at Gabriel Bonfirm. In the next two years, he's going to be in the top 15, possibly top 10. I think he is at 25 years old somebody with bags and bags of potential it's so so refreshing seeing these guys like Bonfirm, Ilya Taporier that are in their like mid to late 20s not even hit their peak yet and they're just so fucking good they just have so much more to give and you know so much room to grow that it's it's actually scary how good they potentially could be um Trying to think now, the f- the fights in the on this were insanely good. There was a bunch of uh, finishes. Also, we saw the um, Roman Kopulov head kick, which was pretty fucking cool. Insane finish. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much everything I want to talk about from from that card. Uh, trying to think if there was any other standout stuff from that. Pretty sure that was right. Yeah, Holland did great. Ferguson should retire. Uh, Poirier should probably move to welterweight. Yeah, so let's move on quickly to the fight night. Try and summarize this a little bit quicker than I did the uh, international fight week. But of course, the big news was the Sandhagen font. Again, a lot of drama in the two main events. But Sandhagen, you know... In one of the more boring fights we've seen him be in in recent history against Font, which a little bit upsetting because one the card was such a was such a banger that there was like all this uh, anticipation for the main event that people had been looking forward to for a while, thinking it's going to be a banger because of the way the guys fight, and then obviously Sandhagen tore his tricep in the first round and decided that. This is the path of less resistance to victory, which I think is absolutely the right thing to do and absolutely the most, you know, sensible way, let's say, to get the victory. If you're fighting like he did, wrestling font, 
and there's not much resistance from the bottom you're not taking any damage you're not taking any risk you're clearly winning the fight why would you not do that especially with you know a bum elbow now when we you know look back in 10 years on San Higgins career it's very unlikely people are gonna you know oh he beat Rob Font it was very boring they're gonna see a victory over Rob Font 50-45 they go wow and he had an injured elbow impressive it's just because it was a little bit boring at the time that being said it was boring you don't have to pretend that something was exciting when it wasn't. I was really looking forward to that fight. I got up really early to watch the UFC. I'd been sat down for about five hours watching it. And then, you know, during round three, I was looking on Twitter during the fight to see people's reactions to the fight rather than actually watching it. So I myself was getting bored by it. And it's absolutely fine to admit that it was boring. I mean, it was... I think there was a total of 43 significant strikes in the in the whole entity entirety of the fight which was the third ever lowest in a five round fight. So it just shows that there wasn't much action and almost no action on the feet which is where everybody assumed the fight would take place and where both fighters usually like to fight. So yeah, nothing wrong with it being boring. Impressive win. I still think that it you know, gives him a lot of props, especially everybody seeing that he was injured as well. Uh, I think he it's enough to get him a title fight, especially a dominant win over Rob Font with uh, Sandhagen's last two performances, especially his finish over uh, Song Yudong. Speaking of which, Song Yudong, another fighter in his mid-20s that looks insane already. Um, yeah, so Sandhagen got the job done, but not to the, you know, not to the appreciation that you might have expected. But yeah, then we had Tatiana Suarez, the fucking machine. Just give her a title shot already. I mean, she had that incredibly long layoff, so she's kind of playing catch-up. So it's nice to see her staying really active. But this was the biggest test by far. She's now defeated two ex-champions, and this was like the first... You know, really strong, really heavy hair that, you know, could potentially knock her out. And she didn't look in danger at any point of the fight. She looked comfortable on the feet. And she, you know, once she got her to the ground, it was, you know, almost instant that she got the submission win. So I think impressive win against Jessica Andrade, who is, you know, she's no slouch, even at this stage in her career. Um... I just think Tatiana Suarez has all the tools to be a champion, all the tools to be a potential two-way champion, and yeah, what's the hold-up? Just, I think she's ready. Um, Dustin Jack Jacoby gave, to me anyway, probably the, the, the shock of the card. I didn't think he would knock out uh, Kennedy and Zegkuchu. I know I've butchered that, but you know, you know how it goes on this podcast. Um, I'm just gonna call him Kennedy. I didn't think he would put him out like he did. Um, I thought it would probably be the other way around. So, especially after his last fight when he fought um, Azamat, he didn't look good. He looked gassed after like two rounds. 
um, just didn't look, you know, as dominant or as crisp as he usually is. Obviously, um, prior to that, he got knocked out by, sorry, he got defeated by Roundtree. So he'd lost two fights in a row and he kind of needed this big, this big win and a big statement win like he, like he did. Uh, I think, I think he really needed that. Um, my highlight of the night was Diego Lopez. I mean, Gavin Tucker has been out for a while, but he is insanely good. I think people have just forgotten about him because he's not been active. But he is, I mean, outside of his loss against uh, Dan Ive, which obviously didn't last very long, he's looked super impressive in in all of his UFC fights. I mean, I was super impressed when he beat... Uh, Billy Quarantillo, and I actually had Gavin Tucker winning this by a decision. I thought he would be too crisp and too good on the feet. Now, we obviously saw in Lopez's debut his, you know, willingness to go for submissions on the ground and how active he likes to stay on the ground. I just didn't realize he was this good. To hit the submission like he did, and I mean, I believe that Tucker is a second-grade black belt, too, in jiu-jitsu. Against someone like that and make it look that easy is super fucking impressive. Now, Lopez, after seeing that, as well as seeing his performance in his debut, I'm happy to say that Lopez is the real deal. And a super exciting addition to the, to the division, may I add. So, I think there's some super interesting fights for him. I think we give him a top 15 next, see how he fares. And uh, yeah, excited to see how that goes. Um, Tanabosa looked all right. He, you know, he clearly won all three rounds in my eyes. Uh, didn't look really to be in trouble anytime. Camera showed an excellent chin. Um, Ludovic Klein looked good. He I mean, he used his experience, wrestled his way to victory. Um, I mean, yeah, he's also a fighter that's kind of gone under the radar because he's, you know, not fought that much. Uh, he he got two wins last year, I believe. And then, uh, yeah, he's fought, uh, I think he had two wins last year and then he got beat twice the year before. So, yeah, he's, he's I guess he's not being inactive. He's just only fought twice a year. Um... But yeah, he drew against Jai Herbert. Um, I think he looked pretty good in that fight. And I think this fight was more of an, more of a spotlight fight for him. Beating uh, Bama Hondes in the way that he did, especially with the hype behind Bama Hondes, is going to give him a lot of spotlight going forward. And I think it was... He used it well. He, he really did shine. He showed a well-rounded game, showed a good game plan. Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens with him next. Um, what else happened? Billy Q won. Uh, great fight. I think he won as well. I know there was a lot of bit of controversy in the fight. Um, bit of controversy with his win. But, you know, as much as Damon Jackson looked good with his wrestling, you have to be doing something. The main thing that judges look for is damage. 
You can't just take someone down and hold them and expect to win the fight, especially when it's close. You know, if you hold them down for the entire 15 minutes, then yeah, of course. But like when it's a close fight, you can't just be like, I had control time. You, you need to be busy. You need to be looking for submissions and you need to be doing damage. Um, what else happened? Obviously, Carlson Harris came back from, you know, the depths of a defeat with the submission win in the last minute. Uh, in the first minute, sorry, which was really impressive. Uh, Cody Durden defeated Jake Hadley. Cody Durden looked really good. Um, Jake Hadley came out and said that he had a really tough weight cut. Um, he said he almost died. Uh, he said he, did, he doesn't gas, so, you know, people know that this wasn't the performance that he's used to. Uh, I genuinely think that, um, you know, Durden just showed a little bit more experience, a little bit better fight IQ. Showed he's tough as well. He didn't tap to the armbar. I think Jake Hadley could potentially have won that fight if he fought a little bit smarter, but you don't know what's going on, right? You might have had a tough weight cut. He might just be saying that. Uh, it's a little bit disappointing because I've wanted to see Hadley fight Makayev for, well, ever since they both signed for the UFC. Seeing Durden enter the rankings after this win meant that I assume would have been the same if Hadley had won, which it w it's kind of been since the beginning that Hadley's chasing Makayev. For those that don't know, um, Makayev and Hadley have had this, this rivalry since the amateurs in England, where Hadley uh, claimed that Makayev was, you know, getting all this spotlight, getting all these sponsors, um, and he wasn't, even though he was the national champion or something at the time. Uh, and he believes that he was being unfairly shunned compared to Makayev. And then they were set to fight, never happened. And they've just kind of had this bad blood ever since. And, you know, they go back and forth on social media all the time. Makayev kind of always plays it down and says he doesn't need to fight him. And Hadley's been constantly chasing him. And it's kind of been this, like, pretty good, pretty cool, interesting cat and mouse situation where Makayev wins, Hadley wins and he's just kind of slowly chasing him but and this would have been perfect because I think Mikhaev is ranked 10 and then Hadley would have been ranked 15 and he's kind of staying on his tail but yeah fell through I guess um yeah I think that's all I want to talk about for those two fights um I heard Dana White walked out of the Sanhagen fight in the fourth just going back to that now it could have been for a number of reasons I have definitely thought he was just bored and he wanted to make a statement, but Sandhagen said that they've spoke about it and, you know, everything's sweet. Um, Derek Lewis just... Did I speak about Derek Lewis? Derek Lewis has just signed a new eight-year deal. An uh, eight-year deal, fuck me. Eight-fight deal. Um, when did... did I, I didn't speak about Derek Lewis, did I? Um, yeah, so let's just... So Derek Lewis, obviously turned into a uh, prime fucking Jorge Masvidal with the flying knee and then gave the best post-fight celebration I've seen. He gave the DX suck it a bunch, took his shorts off, did the uh, Bobby Schmurder dance, gave a great uh, post-fight interview. I mean, yeah, I just fucking love that guy. Uh, such a likable guy. Nice to see him get his mojo back with the quick finish. And... Yeah, he's just signed an eight-fight deal, which 
there was rumors that he'd be chasing Nganu into the PFL to try and get that two million. Um, I think the eight fight deal is kind of what they did with John Jones. There's absolutely no way he does eight more fights. It's just to kind of keep him tied up of doing anything after he retires. Let's say he fights two or three more times, then you know he wants to box. He can't without getting UFC's permission, so he has to cut them a check or whatever. They seem to do it with the older fighters. They give them these huge contracts knowing they won't fill it out. So if they ever want to do something outside of the UFC post-retirement, they have complications so the UFC can get some money or whatever it is. Uh, Yeah. Um, Last thing is I'll quickly mention, because I I wanted this podcast to be a little bit quicker today, is... Does McGregor actually fight Chandler? If anyone's been watching the Ultimate Fighter, um, I believe the numbers haven't been as good this year. I personally enjoy it. Um, just I like the concept of it. I like seeing new fighters. I like seeing any kind of behind the scenes. So I've enjoyed it. Um, McGregor's been hilarious. Just, you know, being himself. Just his Twitter alone is... It's just insanely funny. But, uh, yeah, I think that it could all potentially be a game for the media. Because, obviously, after Gaethje fought Poirier, McGregor was tweeting out that he wants to fight uh, Justin next because he's the real BMF or whatever. Um, And then he puts all these tweets out about Chandler mocking him and stuff. Uh, and he makes it look like he's not going to fight Chandler. He's going to fight just, uh, just, uh, fuck me, Justin instead. Why the fuck did Justin and Dustin fight? It's so confusing for me now, speaking about it. Well, yeah, I think that McGregor does fight Chandler. I just don't know when it is. Um, I still aren't, I mean, is anybody sure on what's happening with his, with the USADA testing pool? Um, when's he even available to fight? But yeah, I think he does fight Chandler. I think he's just, it's just part of the mind games. I think he's just staying relevant, you know, by being funny, by being, you know, by fucking with him online and stuff. He's just kind of staying relevant while there's no fight announcement. Um, but I definitely think that he does fight Chandler if he fights again. Now, I think there's also an equal chance that he just never fights again but we'll see anyway thank you for listening everyone i'll be back next week hopefully a bit earlier with the podcast to go through this weekend's card as always thank you for listening go subscribe to my youtube channel and i'll see you all very soon